There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Hello and welcome to Haunted Davenport. We are a haunted... Ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> covering Outer Limits. We covered both the original version of a episode called Nightmare. We also covered the remake of the episode Nightmare. We are, uh, I am, <laughs> I am uh, here with my lovely wife, Allison. Hello. My also lovely brother-in-law, Andy. Hello. And the also very lovely, well, he's Chris. Well, I'm glad you said I was lovely. So. Next time Chris needs so to get lovely. introduced first. I feel like he always gets tacked on at the end. Well, it's always like a family connection and then there's just Chris. <laughs> Chris is our friend. Chris, you'll just have to get into the family somehow. Well, this is my second family. Well, Chris? I, I am, I am, I am eligibly single, Chris. <laughs> Chris yes. is here of his own volition. There's no familial obligation. So that means he really wants to be here. <laughs> Hey, I could just hang out in the bedroom if that's what it's going to be. <laughs> Yikes. So, so, yeah, like Drew said, we're going to talk about um, The Outer Limits, where we watched uh, as a group, as we usually do, in case you're new to the show. Um, we gathered at our place and we all together watched one episode from the original series, um, which was called Nightmare, and then we watched a new version of that uh, done in... Uh, the 90s revival series of The Outer Limits that was also called The Nightmare. Right. And we're going to compare and contrast those, but I, I thought, you know, we could talk a little bit about the series. None of us, I don't think, are hardcore Outer Limits fans or are definitely not experts. Right. We considered show. watching more than these episodes, but then we realized we're probably going to be revisiting Outer Limits time and time again. There's mm -hmm. a lot um, to cover. Yeah. So the one we watched was the first episode... That, let's see, how would you say this? The first aired episode from the original series, 
that got remade in the remake series. Right. So, of all the episodes that appear in both the original series and the remake 90s series, this would be the first one that pops up in the original series. Yes. Although there is one episode that they have the same name, totally different plots. (laughs) Yep. I'm trying to remember what was it, that. It was not human, nece- human something. Yeah, it's not necessarily a generic right. uh, title. Yeah. Now I forgot that episode already. Yep. We'll find it. Show notes. So, so I think for most of us, we were familiar with the series mostly by name and maybe seen a few episodes of either the original or the 90s version in passing, but none of us have seen every episode. And I definitely think... Me, personally, I'm a lot more familiar with The Twilight Zone, although I did watch the revival series that began in 1995 um, pretty regularly because it was on on late night. I want to say it originally aired on Showtime, but there was this weird period of time where um, Showtime shows would sometimes show up really late on, like, Fox or UPN Mm. if you just had, like, regular you know, standard channels. HBO did that Yeah, too, yeah, because yeah. I, I remember while it was still currently airing on Showtime as a kid, I used to go out, um, we used to go to like an all-ages club and go hear bands play, and then at like two in the morning, we'd watch Tales from the Crypt at the end of the night or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was like a sophomore in high school, and so that would have been right around 1995, and then I would catch this sometimes on TV, and then it got picked up by the sci-fi network and then was airing in syndication i think for a really long time at least yeah. the, the 90s version although i believe sci-fi the sci-fi channel probably was showing the original series at some point as well i just never happened to come across it there probably was a time in which you could get the syndicated episodes probably really cheap oh yeah, yeah. and um I, i'm gonna mention just really quick uh, our usual spoiler warning when we start to describe um, the episode, and we, we watched, you know, like I said, two versions of the episode Nightmare, so it's basically the same plot with some differences from the original to the later one, but we will go full spoilers. Right. If you haven't seen this and you don't want it spoiled, if you have Amazon Prime, both the original series and the 90s version of the series are available to stream with a Prime subscription. Yep, and these episodes are twisty, so if you're worried right. about spoilers, mm-hmm. we're going to go right to them. They will, and, it will be ruined. And yep. you can't watch just one of them and then expect that it's okay to listen to this episode if you're afraid of spoilers, Yeah, because they both have their own personal They've twists. got a unique twist. Well, I happen, yeah. to, I, I happen to find several of the older episodes on the internet archive, archive.org. Oh. They had several episodes up, and um, I watched three or four episodes there if you want to support the internet archive. They which also. Is which is great. Awesome. They also show both the original series and the revival series on Comet oh, a lot. Okay. Oh, yeah, if you get the Comet is, channel. Well, Comet channel is on a lot of basic cable, and then it's also on. Um, Roku has for free a, you if you can have a get Roku. the Comet channel hmm. as a one of their just page things channels. Yeah, they show the outer limits a lot. Do they call those Comet. channels or do they call them like apps or? <laughs> I think they're channels on Roku. Is it yeah. channels yeah. on Roku? Okay. You just search it like an app. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We need yeah. we need a 
12-year-old to come in and explain it's, this to it's me. It's kind of, well, it's kind of like using a Roku is kind of like a weird little hybrid between having a streaming service where you pick things on demand with a little bit of cable TV where there's just things on. You turn mm-hmm. it on, you don't know what's on. They have scheduled programming depending mm-hmm. on the channel. There's a lot of public access type stuff, a lot of weird local repetitive commercials for things. I like it. I like the uh, I like the feel of the, the I Roku. Dig Roku yeah. yeah, we watched the B Movie TV channel a lot, and for a while, they were having these uh, previews for Charles Bronson style movies with a guy who looks oh, a lot yeah. like Charles Bronson. Wish of death. And I don't know what his oh, that actor's yeah. name is, but it's just like it's like he's definitely younger than Charles Bronson, but. Where did you find it's this guy? It's a knockoff yeah. Charles Bronson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a guy, like basically it's a <laughs> Charles Bronson lookalike, and this one director just keeps putting him in movies that are Charles Bronson knockoff movies. God, what a platform. And they, they look low budget, but not bad enough. Although, wasn't there a Baldwin in one yeah, of them? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so they're like quality. I want to see <laughs> Maybe. Daniel Baldwin. Yeah. Probably. Daniel or Bill, a, a less famous Baldwin. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're so so. If you if you've uh, ever considered getting a Roku stick and you miss some of the fun otter parts or of having a, Roku a cable TV, TV or Roku whatever, yeah, there's so many Roku devices. Well, if now. you just get the if you just get the stick, it's a one time fee. You don't have to subscribe to anything, right. and then it automatically links in with. YouTube and Amazon and Netflix and Hulu and whatever paid subscriptions you might have, you can view there. But also, but even there's all these free yeah, channels. Even if you don't have a paid subscription, that like the cheapest stick is like thirty some dollars, mm. and then you got access to basically all kinds of weirdo, almost dark web. You <laughs> can make your own channel if you. Yeah, wanted. there's like each one when you start it up, it has a little advertisement of make your own channel. Yeah. Oh man. So you too could have your own TV you, channel. You all out there. Don't want to tempt me. Yeah. Instant TV oh, channel. Be thankful we don't have that much time on our hands. People. <laughs> say, uh, or there'd be the haunted Davenport Roku channel. Oh god. There's a there's a Criterion channel now, or like a like an app that you get like Netflix, yeah. but it's all the Criterion collection. I'm sure so. they got it on Roku. I too. just found that recently which i really want to sign up for just in case you because you really want to see the movie equinox yes Yes. uh, i just i love criterion and like everything they stand for yeah but some of those movies they're like we need to save this movie so that it doesn't disappear and it's like i honor that but that movie is shit Uh, (laughs) that's the one the one movie i feel like mst3k really missed the boat on that they did um they did a Criterion edition of uh, Salo. Salo oh, had oh. the the really controversial like so, the 140 Nights of Sodom. Exactly. Okay. They did, they did uh, Criterion yeah, edition of that, that, and they said uh, <laughs> on the back it actually says like, "Is this necessarily a good movie? No, but in the context of film history, maybe it's something to look at." Sure. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I love the concept and I'm fully behind what they're doing. Yeah. And I just don't get it sometimes. I, I think I the, think everything is worth archiving. I right. think I think that's There'll be important. a Manos Manos hands of oh, no. criteria. Well it actually oh, well, just they, they just somebody did a version where they cleaned up oh, you're the right. film yeah, negative yeah. and Someone it actually looks found really good. An original print I'm still, that was like in 
amazing immaculate condition. Yeah. Like, I've seen, like, little, like, just stills, and it's like, oh my god. Like, because I, watching the stuff from before, like, the, the mystery science theater stuff, like, I just, like, thought, oh, it's, like, monochrome. Like, I thought it was, like, some kind of sepia tone or, or something. Or, like, they shot that, it like, on, like, Super 8. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, no, they actually shot it on real film, and it's got real vibrant color to it from the original. It's just, it all faded yeah. with the crap that they were able to find. Well, you know, it's it's great, but it's stuff gets archived. You know, maybe one day we'll be lucky and we'll get Freddy Got Fingered. The oh. Criterion Edition. I want that so bad. <laughs> Daddy, would you like some sausage? My friend asked me if there. <laughs> my friend asked me if there was ever a novelization of that, and I said, <laughs> "Really? Wow!" So like, you think there was a novelization? I said, "Give me a weekend and oh. like, just just a ton, a ton of case things. case of Jack Daniels, case of Jack Daniels, a typewriter." A dirty white wife beater, once owned by Bukowski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll yeah. make it happen. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have some kind of Bukowski tie in there. You do. I feel like if you gave Bukowski enough booze and cigarettes and just told him you'll keep keep them coming if he novelizes this movie, <laughs> he would just sit there watching the movie and like, yes, it's horrible. Give me another right. drink. Um, this was a very bad tangent since yeah so i just say i'm gonna rein it in since this is anyway spoilers beware i think is what we were last talking about spoilers beware well i I thought i'd give a little background on the outer limits for people who aren't as familiar with it or didn't watch it back when it originally came out um apologies if you're super familiar or a mega fan of the show and we get something wrong or Yes, we you know, we are not. We plan we plan well that's the thing is, you know, our show really skips around and kind of samples from a buffet of retro sci-fi and horror television, I which like means that we're sort of, you know, know a little bit about a lot of things, you know, we're we're a master of nothing though. Jack of all <laughs> trades. Exactly. So The Outer Limits originally aired on ABC from nineteen sixty three to nineteen sixty five. Um, it was a contemporary of the Twilight Zone, but um, it focused much more strictly on science fiction in its writing, at least according to the people who contributed to Wikipedia. Uh, with my experience with it, I would say it is very similar, but I think um, with the episodes, most of the episodes I've seen, there's a little bit less of a moral of a story or, or a parable. I feel like Twilight Zone often had a message and it was on message all the time and I think The Outer Limits was a little bit more akin to something a story you'd find in a sci-fi magazine where you're getting you know like a serial right. story there's or a bigger a story. social commentary I think yeah sure I think it's kind of similar to like how you had um eerie comics and then you had weird tales comics yeah. mm-hmm. so like this, where eerie comics turned into Tales from the Crypt, like, weird tales comics would turn into Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Well, this, or not Twilight, uh, Yeah, and my, my impression from the yeah. original Outer Limits series is it was less fantastical in a lot of ways than the Twilight Zone, because in the Twilight Zone, sometimes there was just like, hey, this mannequin is coming alive. That's sure. Like right. Outright there's magical There's a stuff. magical element. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and Outer Limits, in its own way, seemed to be more grounded in the sci-fi genre 
Like, hey, this could happen. This could happen, yes. Sure, because there's aliens out there, and one day this exactly. could happen. Or, like, our, our interactions with the aliens is kind of a reflection of sure. our own inadequacies sure. as humans. It still had that, that message, but it was a message that was more grounded in a, just a future idea of what could happen. Mm. Yeah. yeah I definitely... Or what could happen tomorrow, but from a futuristic being of another planet. I think a lot of on a lot of times, at least with the revival series, sometimes it would go more into that straightforward sci-fi borderline horror story where it's not necessarily like there's a parable. There might be a little bit of a cautionary tale element, but sometimes it's just like this is a scary thing that could happen, and it's happening, and here you go. Um, which I'll, I guess I'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the revival series. But yeah, they. Uh, so this, this ran, I think, a season longer than The Twilight Zone. I think The Twilight Zone was just on the air originally for three seasons. But this uh, was, one of the main producers for this was Joseph Stefano, who was the screenwriter for Psycho. Um, and, and a lot of other things, but that's what he's most famous for. He adapted Robert Block's novel into the classic horror icon film that it is, and and. I personally am eternally grateful for that because I love the original Psycho. But um, it's a great screenplay. Yeah. He wrote a lot of the episodes, especially for season one, along with some other great sci-fi writers. And uh, and then, uh, according to what I read, he um, sort of felt like you needed to have some kind of monster or creature in each episode. So, which definitely seemed true of. A couple of the first season episodes that we watched when we were right. watching them on Prime, going more for a monster of the week. There was sort of definitely thing. a creature. It's not always a monstrous creature that's like malicious, but there's always right. some kind of mm-hmm. creature, and it's real. It's not you know in somebody's mind. Um, well, I remember reading the article, and don't they say like <laughs> they refer to it as the bear? Like yeah, every week they're yeah. Like, What's the bear for the episode? <laughs> yeah, which is funny. I never heard that before. The bear. <laughs> and the the intro for the Outer Limits, which I feel like we'll probably insert somewhere into the show, just because it's so iconic. Such a great intro. Like you know, everybody loves the Twilight Zone theme and everything, but I think the Outer Limits is almost as as well known. Well, the Do Twilight not adjust Zone, your television set. Like everyone just does the music. Yeah. Like there's a whole monologue of the Twilight Zone that people like try and remember but they can't of remember. Of Rod Serling saying like, weird yeah. things. Yeah. But like <laughs> the outer limits is so iconic of that weird little riff he does about the do not try to adjust your television set. We control the horizontal. We also control the vertical. Which is in that uh, UHF. Yeah, the, totally the, the UHF weird song. song. Well, we in control the horizontal. Yeah. Which I didn't know for the longest time was an Outer Limits reference, but it's brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's gonna make a couch potato. Kind of really, <laughs> kind of menacing sounding when you think about it, because... Oh, yeah, you know, it's the... like, sit right there and we're going to control your life and brain and everything for the next half hour. Well, actually, hour. Hour. They were hour long. Yeah. Especially well, a post-1984 right. um, kind of communism succumb, fear. Succumb kind of to our will and sit there on your couch. Well, people yeah. were... I mean, I kind of had the impression that when television was still a, a much newer medium, which it definitely was in the early 60s, that people were still 
not quite sure of its influence and you know mm -hmm. is this brainwashing people is it a tool for good is it an educational tool <laughs> that's kind um, of how that intro seems yeah, to me but it's it brainwashing. Also, as a as a child i used to have nightmares about not being able to control the tv where something scary would be on the screen and i try to turn right. it off and it popped back on and i couldn't look away for whatever reason and so i think um, Which, if you go back to our very first episode, you might realize that Allison had to deal with a TV that you couldn't just turn on and off as a small child. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> later, when they, when, when, you know, as television started progressing, you know, when, the time we were in high school and they had the big screen projection TVs, a lot of those didn't seem to have an on-off switch on the TV. It was kind of like if you lost the remote to that thing, you were screwed. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, totally. And that's like a giant wall of TV, you know? It's, it's I don't know. So it hasn't really improved, even or, though the knob on the old the old little console was hard to turn off and on for my little toddler hands. I think the, oh, God, the remote's gone, and there's a big wall of of stuff on here and I can't or, get rid you know, of it. The old tube TVs where if you ran them for too long and then turned them off, there'd always be like the ghost effect on yeah, there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it yeah. would just you would turn it off because I'd always watch TV in bed with the lights off and then you turn off the TV, but then the TV would just glow for like half an hour. Mm -hmm. Yep. Creepy. <laughs> Super creepy. You're radiating my brain. So, so yeah, I think I think we definitely need to spend more time with the series beyond the two episodes we're going to talk about tonight. But I thought, um, I, I definitely think it deserves its own attention. It's it's not. I mean, it definitely comes up into television on the heels of the Twilight Zone, right. and I think had there been no Twilight Zone, this might have taken longer to get on the air, although probably something like it would have eventually right. showed up. Like, this mm -hmm. exact show is probably a product of the popularity of Twilight Zone. But another show similar to this, or similar to Twilight Zone, if neither one of these had ever come out, would eventually have, you know, made its way into mm. how was television. it? How was it network-wise? Was Twilight Zone was... ABC? Uh, no, this, this, was, this ABC. was on ABC. This was ABC. Um, and ABC... Oh, the Twilight Zone, I think, is CBS, yeah, right? And ABC was... Um, I'm not an expert on, on ratings or what share of the major networks had at the time, but um, we also, because Drew and I are kind of nerds for Disneyland and Disney things, learned a lot about how ABC and Disney... Disney helped to boost ABC, so I don't think ABC was like a really a big contender network at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe not quite as many people watched this show. Um, I don't have any information on ratings or anything like that. I'm not sure how much people are even interested in that anyway. <laughs> I mean, unless you're, unless you're like a super big stats nerd, which that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's... Well, I can imagine, you know, if CBS has Twilight Zone and it becomes a huge hit, I'm sure rival uh, rival television networks are probably like, we want a piece of that. What do we have? What can we do? And so an anthology series sure. kind of like, like the outer limits that is vaguely similar in tone. Well, and I think if you're watching The Twilight Zone, you're probably also watching this. You yeah, know, Twilight I don't Zone think it's an either or. CBS. 
So Harlan Ellison also wrote a few episodes. He didn't wasn't as heavily involved as Joseph Stefano, but he he uh, was involved in writing a few of the episodes. And then also apparently there was a lawsuit later where oh. he sued um, uh, James Cameron and the producers of uh, Ter- the Terminator because apparently he identified plot elements that were taken from some of his writings and things that were written for The Outer Limits. Hmm. Which is really, really strange. Yeah. So, um... interesting. Yeah, and I don't know, I I didn't go real deep on that, but that's kind of a a thing. And then I also read that there were a lot of crossovers with uh, Star Trek. Apparently, um, some of the monsters that they created for The Outer Limits later got repurposed. I'm not sure if actual... I can totally see that. But some special effects and some creatures were kind of repurposed for Star Trek. Um, The original series is the one I'm talking about here. And then, um... Also, there were some crossovers where uh, I think both uh, Leonard Nimoy and um, William Shatner appeared in some episodes. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was in Production and Decay of Strange Particles (laughs) and another episode called iRobot, which I'm assuming is probably an adaptation of the Isaac Asimov story, Hmm. but I don't know for sure. Uh, And then William Shatner was in an episode called Cold Hands, Warm Heart, um, apparently as an astronaut working on a Project Vulcan, so... Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I haven't watched these episodes, so I can't I tell you much more about that. I one of the episodes that was on both the original and the Reeve Okay. Group, so we can always revisit that later. Yeah, too. and we definitely mm-hmm. will. And I and so I think, I think maybe there probably would be a little bit of memory confusion if you watch both, both of these shows, both Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, when you have... Um, William Shatner was... In some classic appears in both versions of iRobot. Oh, okay. Well, um, (laughs) anyway, uh, William Shatner was in a couple classic episodes of The Twilight Zone. You know, one of the most classic episodes ever was the William Shatner episode. So I could see if you then later saw him on The Outer Limits, you'd be like, oh, yeah, wait, was that a Twilight Zone episode? (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, there's just a little bit of, of cross, of, crossing over but i didn't realize that there was such a star trek connection as far as plot devices and and set pieces that again i can see because the the outer limits like you said there there's a creature of the week Mm -hmm. and it's more sci-fi less moralizing than the twilight zone is and it's basically a less optimistic star trek in that regard oh yeah Um, yeah because because the 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 one that we watched nightmare was totally straight out of star trek you can totally see this happening with you know kirk and spock and the crew getting trapped Mm. somewhere and turning against each other like this i've also seen and i cannot remember the name of it but an older black and white sci-fi film with a similar plot except for that um I don't remember if it was like there was a gender difference where like the aliens were mostly women versus men, but it um, the version I saw was was given the MST3K treatment, but it definitely mm. seemed like if you watched it without mockery, it would be like an extended episode of The Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. Yeah. Um, so we should probably get into the synopsis for Nightmare for the original if somebody wants to do that. Sure. I'll- Anybody want to give that a go? Yeah, so the synopsis is there is a planet that Earth had gone to war with in the far future, and uh, several soldiers are sent on, you know, to attack the planet, 
their ship gets shot down or commandeered maybe um and they are taken prisoners of war by the aliens of the planet which are the um Oh, I, I'm blanking on their name right now. The the Ebons, Ebonites, Ebonites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is Ebon and yeah. So it's a dark planet. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and it's a for the 1960s. It was a multicultural crew of people who got sent down there. Yeah, I, w- I was impressed, and that also seems like something you know that you would see with Star Trek. You know. Yeah, it was it was a a group of people from a now united Earth. And uh, they're fighting against the Ebonites for reasons unknown. They don't. They don't go into why the why they're at war. Do they? Um, I think they just explained that the Ebonites suddenly one day attacked them, and then yeah. they had to go hop in spaceships and fly across the galaxy to go to go whoop on. Yeah. I'm not entirely yeah. certain. Like, yeah. They see it's a first strike like, situation. Like with... blindly too. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of. All right, get in this ship. It's like go. everyone's getting the spaceship. I think he says, "Oh, that like, spaceship didn't return. Let's send out another spaceship." Yeah, I, I think he says, "Like we don't exactly know what we're up against, but uh. <laughs> right." But we got eight guys here, so they're definitely going to take down this entire planet. It's a good plan. So this this particular episode um, originally aired on December second, nineteen sixty three, and it was originally supposed to um, air in November. But it was delayed because of the funeral of President John F. Kennedy. Oh. Um, and then, um, uh, should I go ahead and read the sure. the, the cast? So, um, written by Joseph Stefano, directed by John Ehrman, um, and the guests, the guest appearances, or the stars of this this particular episode were. Oh, this is going to be fun trying to pronounce this. James Shigeta. Shigeta. Okay. Not sure. Apologies for that one. Ed Nelson, Martin Sheen. I think I know how to pronounce that. Yeah. The uh, president. Or is it Shen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bill Gunn. Sheen. David Frankham, and John Anderson. And and Martin Sheen is a baby in this. Yeah, we, it took us a while is. to realize it was him. Yeah. Well, no, it, we were watching it, and the first thing I said was, "This guy looks like he's an Estevez." <laughs> It's like he's definitely got to be like one of the like brothers. That's or right. Something. We didn't immediately pinpoint him as yeah. like as but, Martin Sheen himself, well, like the yeah. the original Estevez. And he's got to be all of like twenty in this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's pretty young in it. I'll have to look up Martin Sheen's age later. Yeah. But it's, it's like it's afterwards, really though, all I saw was uh, Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Yeah. In, in uh, Repo Man, like, over <laughs> yeah. and over again, because it's <laughs> like they're cut, about yeah. the same age. Yeah, it's like about the same age as Emilio Estevez and Repo Man, and they look the same. And then I think uh, back, like recently, I was saw Emilio Estevez in some shoot of something, and like I was like, oh my god, he's just churning into his dad. <laughs> like he looks so much like Martin Sheen now. It's crazy. But it makes more sense because Martin Sheen, as a baby actor, looked just like Emilio Estevez. Yep. And by baby, we mean, I don't know, he was probably like 18, 18 to 20 years <laughs> old, somewhere around there. Um, but, you know, a baby in comparison. So, uh, yeah, so they... Well, I mean, you're so used to, like, Martin Sheen, at least to me, always just still, always looks like Greg Stilson in uh, The Dead Zone. Oh, right. You know, he's he's the presidential candidate and everything. He just always looks like that. But then you don't see 
I never seen him act in something where he was younger. So, so he's ever... twenty three in this. Okay. Oh, okay. Ever since years old. Ever since I saw the um, movie with Jodie Foster called The Little Girl That Lives Down the Lane, where she's like twelve oh, and living alone, and he's movie. a pedophile that's basically pursuing her. Ew. I can't look at him the same. Like, that movie kind of ruined me for Martin Sheen. Except for we really love watching Grace and Frankie, but he's old enough now that, like, it's okay. But he, oh, he's so chilling in that movie. It's it's really upsetting. Anyway, um, back to the uh, the Ebonites. Uh, we actually get to see the aliens in this. They have... Alien. Co- there's only ever one of them. Well, but it's implied uh, there's... I think there's two in one. There's implied thing. that okay. there's multiple aliens, and yes. they're holding they're holding the soldiers captive, and they're putting them through questioning and torture and all this, and, and it's, you know, you start to wonder, what is this all for? Who can, you know, no one's, no one can trust anybody. Everybody's turning yeah. on each other. They immediately turn against each other. Yeah. There's not a lot of unit cohesion here. Well, and they're all terrified. And it's interesting, they, um, they do something in this that they also do later in the, in the 90s version. But in the 90s version, they use actual special effects. Mm-hmm. Where they, um, one of the soldiers loses their ability to speak in this, and another one becomes blinded, both temporarily, but they just show them as, you know, the actors act out yes. that they can't do these things, which is, right. you know, classic television, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the 90s version, it's like sticky, ooey gooey, liquid latex makeup, yeah. and it's super gross, yeah. <laughs> and kind of, but kind Honestly, of campy. Honestly, I, I feel like it was more realistic and believable in original oh definitely yeah, I, I, like, preferred, you know, I preferred the original like it, you felt it more whereas in like the remake where they like did the special effects makeup to like stitch their mouth shut it was meant to be it was over. meant to be gross out yeah. yeah it was very well the the actors were so expressive in the in the original you know i mean yeah it like like I've often said of the Twilight Zone, this is also a class act when it's you know very much so. Yeah. It seemed like it was very well written. It was very well acted, mm-hmm. you know. And I even people give William Shatner you know a lot of crap for overacting and you know call it Shatnering and stuff, which is <laughs> definitely fairly well deserved. But even when he did shows like this, his acting was so much more understated and mm-hmm. serious and he really gave it his all but um well, i think a lot more people in that day and age came from like a stage yeah training. yeah like, um, um i can't think of um lee strasberg kind of like th- that was more of a stage trainer but so these sure. people got a uh, stage-centered training where you're really emoting and playing to the back to the back row oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. looks Projecting. funny on tv but on the other hand it makes for good tv right yeah, but it's times. very emotional and makes you really follow along you know you, you can suspend your disbelief I, where when people yeah. are just relying on the special effects you well, just kind of like I, ignore it a little bit i think because of this i think i think the at least the original take on the story in the original series was this episode is really disturbing? Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The music used at time is very dissonant and very avant garde. I'm curious to find out who did the music for this because it's, it, it is that weird electronic experimentation 
dissonant vibe yeah, to it. But the the emotions are really raw and and when they bring the the one soldier back and he can't see, but he's finally allowed to see and, right. and he sees what the Ebonites have done to another soldier and they've they've effectively tortured him and taken out his own heart. And just that they don't have to show anything. Right. That's the most amazing thing is they don't have to show you a dead body with its heart ripped out one right. because you can't show that in nineteen sixty three. But but just the performance conveying it right. is him so going from horrifying, being so excited to see again, mm-hmm. even though he was only unable to see for a very short time. Um, but like him being so excited about how he could see, but then realizing into what he had to do to see, which was they told him they'd give him his vision back if he would look at his dead friend, and. And like him having to remember his dead friend there with his heart ripped out yeah and like it just breaks him down you know and then you just that makes the picture in your mind so horrific because of the way he's reacting to it mm-hmm. yeah so i mean that's the the main gist of this whole thing is that ebonites are are torturing them and they're they're sort of like removing certain senses from pete from the soldiers with the bribery of, you can, you can see again, or you can you can speak again if he tells more about what. Were they trying to determine why the humans were? Well, they were trying to determine like the next shipment of humans. The next yeah, where like, the next attack was going to right, come from. Right. They, they wanted right. specific coordinates and like strategy to be revealed. And then using the. Fear, you know, they kind of draw on the fear, the dark past of these people. Right. Maybe they had soldiers underneath them that died under their watch. Right. It's very, it's like a very tame um, event horizon in a sense. Or it plays on that yeah, idea sure. of fear Definitely and some connections. I felt with that as fear well. and past trauma. They kind of well, and the, toy the, with them. The aliens are seemingly kind of psychically omnipotent because they know stuff about these soldiers right. that they should have you know no way of knowing. Right. Um, one soldier sees an accurate representation of his mother, um, and she appears to him multiple times. Apparently, just you know, the alien induces her. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very strange, very one. They never quite explain it, but they, it's fine because they have they have control of the five right. senses. The That's... the one the one soldier who doesn't get questioned just gets strung up and then his arm pulverized. They pulverize the bones mm. in his right arm. Again, they don't use special effects. The actor just com- like conveys that his arm is now broken to bits and like moves all limp and it was believable for the most mm-hmm. part and I just thought oh right. my god that's horrible yeah. and he you know was saying you know would you tell him afterwards and he's like well I passed out from the pain you know right. they didn't anesthetize him well they, just... they never even asked him questions no. they just tortured him to torture yeah. him that's right but like because after he disappeared and got was being tortured or whatever was going on they didn't know like suddenly they were given food and things as a reward and they were told up front you know every time you give us information we will give you more of the things you demanded right so they automatically assume that oh he gave them information because now we have food 
you know. Yep. The uh, the psychological drama of you know who can be trusted, who's turned on them, right? And what what will the punishment be? Is kind of the crux of the whole crisis because mm-hmm. in both versions they decide pretty quickly to kill the traitor, right? Um, and it's very much that like it's it's similar to like the uh, the Frozen episodes, so like. Uh, the thing from, you know, the thing. Yeah. Oh, and right, like, right. Are you the, talking about our December episode? Right, our yeah. December episode, and, you know, I was thinking like about when everyone's they... trapped in it, the bottle episode, where, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's trapped, and, you know, they all suspect each other, and, you know, so, no one's safe. In case you, in case listeners haven't listened to that, that's, that's our episode from December of last year, and it's called Frozen in Terror, and we covered an episode of the x-files that was it's a, not about frozen the movie no, no. Uh, um, disney and then, fans will be disappointed yes <laughs> yeah so it was uh, x-files fans. episode <laughs> titled ice and we um also did an episode of twilight zone called i think it was the, well, the real martian right. please stand up which is a classic and it's both situations where you have an ensemble of people and they are stuck in a confined space with inclement weather outside and somebody is a traitor and it's that classic who among us is you know is the bad one yes that scenario yeah i i really like the trapped in a room premise um and it works really well in sci-fi because it's so easy to trap people in space space is by definition (laughs) oh yeah a constricting environment yeah because at least when you're trapped in the snow you could try like hiking you, out yeah, of you it, go you know? out into it. when you're trapped in like a box in space you go out the door and you're dead yeah you got the box <laughs> that's what you got well and if you're if you're thinking from you know show production or film production standards as long as the story is well written and well crafted you can hold people's suspense and play on that claustrophobia and paranoia really well while maintaining a low budget because if you're just in this one set like um you guys when we were watching these we're talking about the the movie cube yeah that movie is so you know suspenseful in parts at least i think i thought it was a really good movie and it's also upsetting and most of it's just implied and you really just have the same set over and over again. Yeah, because you got they're just the going it's from a series of rooms. Of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's one thing when uh, Drew was talking about stage performances on this, the the original version of this felt because of the the kind of minimalistic staging and setting mm-hmm. of it. They there is not a lot of um, there's not many props or anything. I think we have maybe two sets. There's the interrogation room and the prison camp. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And we have, you know, a couple of big old foam block rocks mm-hmm. and, you know, a little, some supplies here and there. And that is it. And they work, they make it work. Again, so, I wonder, did those foam blocks make their way onto a Star Trek set? Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably. Well, and the, the reboot also kept a very minimal set. Mm-hmm. It was sure. mostly just the acting. But I think because they had all the special effects, there was a little bit less spent you know on the actual acting yeah well no the framing of it was different too i remember not that the actors were bad no the the remake there was some pretty good acting in there as well Mm -hmm. i kind of thought it was bad but we'll get it it was was pretty handy um, yeah well once you have a little bit more budget for some big set pieces and special effects i think you can that's true you spent your money on the special effects you couldn't get a better 
Yeah, we got to see lasers in this. Yeah, look lasers. At, look at um, lasers. <laughs> obligatory Star Wars reference. Take a drink, folks. <laughs> I mean, right? Uh, Same yeah. kind of like general like we spent all this money on these special effects and yeah. Oh my God, Annie, you killed younglings. <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, there you Please go. stop right now. <laughs> anyway. So the the original they torture these guys and get them all believing that the other one has told them that all their secrets and now they're about to kill the guy they've definitely decided is the traitor amongst them and then they get one guy gets pulled out um and then brought to the actual interrogators it turns out that they were humans from earth the whole time oh man that were telling, they're real aliens, but they were telling the aliens to do these things for them. And the aliens felt really bad about attacking us, and they wanted a truce and everything. Well, it was an accident. Yeah. But the, the what was perceived as the attack was totally a firing that happened on accident. Right. And so they were willing to do whatever it took to try and mend fences, which I right. thought was really cool. I thought, I liked that the aliens were portrayed as intelligent and benevolent and that they were just trying to help out and that the humans were the ones who were like, we must emotionally manipulate yeah, they're the real our monsters. own kind they, to uh, learn about they, them. They actually draw a common actual occurrence with prisoner, prisoners of war with, in Korea, right? Right, they mm-hmm. mentioned that a couple times. Korean Which yeah. would have been, you know, what was Fairly recent, recent, recent yeah. in in people's minds at the time of this era. And, and, and even ironically, if you really think about it, at the time these episodes aired, this, you know, this, this, without getting too much into like conspiracy theory stuff, the CIA probably was still doing these kind of awful experimentations like that. Oh sure, MK Ultra hadn't even happened yet, yeah. so right, yeah, yeah. doing it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they reveal that they're, the whole people behind the actual torturing is their own military officials, which is how they know all this information about them and everything, because they were the ones that trained them. They're the ones that, you know, brought them up in their, their military lives and so they're just testing them because they said, you know, now that we know there's extraterrestrial life out there, we need to be prepared in case this stuff happens. <laughs> so we need to find out what you men are made of. And so, yeah. And so we do. And so we found out what they're made of, which is shooting each other because one of the general guys gets shot. It, it, it is a very, <laughs> you know, it, the, the role of aliens in the Outer Limits is so much always kind of a... Um, we're here to show you how awful you humans are. Right. <laughs> well, I've found that lot like multiple episodes involve the alien just being like, "Hey guys, how's it going? I want to be your friend," and then like mass hysteria and people shooting each other. Like, yeah. Oh god, aliens are coming to kill us. We need to kill them first. It's did like, you watch what? Um, did you talk to them first? It, right. Did you watch the one? I can't remember what it's called. The the Armin Misfits, or it's the something Misfits, and they. I don't think so. The premise of it is these aliens have contacted Earth and saying, "Hey, we want to send you. Uh, our culture doesn't permit the execution of criminals, 
Oh, so they're we, gonna send us criminals to execute them? Yeah, yeah. Well, so they say we, we want to put them on Earth. We want to send our criminals and our misfits to to Earth, and in exchange, we'll give you more technological. We'll share technological advancements and that sort of thing. Sure. And so, in the transportation of these criminals, there's this big mix-up, and then they get loose, and the alien and and they tell. The aliens tell the Earthlings, if this gets out, or if you if you violate our privacy, we will exterminate the entire Earth. So, of course, this big mishap happens, and they fight, and they kill all these uh, criminals that uh, aliens that are right. actually like small Alien bugs. Criminals. They're like little bugs. It's really weird. Um, they're stop motion animations, right? But. Hmm. Um, they end up wiping them all out, but they're like, oh, great, we're done for. You know, the, the aliens are going to take us out. And the aliens say, no, actually, um, we had no intention of doing that. We we sent them to your planet because we knew something would happen. We knew, ultimately, you'd kill them. You'd yeah. kill them. But we can't. We, we, we can't kill them, but, so we sent them there because we knew really you. But we know it's in your nature to kill things. It's in your human nature to do sure, it. Sure, it's, like, really... it's like banishing people. Like, we can't kill you. We're just going to banish you to the desert. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, so you're just killing them slowly. Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. your hands aren't clean in that scenario. Yeah. I was going to say, though, when you're describing that, it sounds like somebody's alien conspiracy though for the planet earth that the misfits were sent here and it's top secret and you're not allowed sure. to talk about it <laughs> that's a, it's like a red part of a hitchhiker's guy yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. or reptilians mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or i feel like even the men in black movies kind of play on that sure. Alrighty, well did anybody want to say anything more about the original episode from 63 before we move on to talk about the Revival series. I think it's a good time to change gears. Yeah. Alrighty. So, so just quick backgrounds. Um, like we said before, the um, Outer Limits Revival originally started in 1985. It ran until 2002. Um, it originally started on Showtime and then later ended up on Sci-Fi. And I recall seeing it on just regular network TV. 85 late or 95? Uh, 95. Um, in they the 90s. They tried to get it going in the 80s. I was definitely still in high school when I was watching this show, so I know it was pre-2000. Um, I'm not exactly sure when it started showing up on the Sci-Fi Channel. And, you know, and then it was kind of like in reruns on Sci-Fi Channel forever. But uh, longer run of the series as a whole. Um, and it also... Because of its the time in which it came out, I feel like this version of the series has um, more of a similarity to things like Tales from the Crypt, you know, and a little bit of the X Files. Like it was really mirroring the contemporary sci-fi and horror of the day. Um, although I would say, arguably, a lot of times not as well. Although there are some really good episodes. Um, I'm way more familiar with this series because I just, you know, used to watch it late at night all the time, like I said. Um, but it, they're definitely, I feel like there was a more of a creep factor. Like they were trying to be a little bit scarier and, and definitely more practical effects, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But definitely more of like the horror variety. Like you'd see a lot more deformities and a lot more... Um, 
elaborate monsters and things like that. And so for this version of Nightmare, does somebody want to give the synopsis? I mean, it's basically the same story. Yeah, it's a very similar story. Um, there's some differences, though. The difference is, is that they're on their spaceship. Instead of going to attack the uh, Ebonites, it's still the Ebonites. They mm-hmm. reuse that, mm-hmm. even though it seems, I don't know, it was such a weird name to, like, you know, homage to the original. We never and, see them, though. Yeah, in you don't episode. see the Ebonites in this movie, but they're going... And they're going to a planet that's supposedly deserted, and they're going to test this one, like, giant uber bomb on this uncharted planet, which to me is like, so you're just going to blow up a chunk of a planet you don't really know that much about, Mm -hmm. and who knows what kind of repercussions could be later? Yeah, screw it. We got got a big old thing we got to test. It's a big planet. Space Force. We'll just blow off a chunk of it. Get the Space Force Yeah, Totally. And so they're just flying with this giant bomb, and they're, like, all down in the same cargo hold with the giant bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're landing. Because that, you know, makes sense, whatever. And then all of a sudden, they start getting fired upon, and so they return fire, blow it out of the water, supposedly, and then they all get, like, shocked, and they pass out, um... But yeah, so now they're, they wake up and they're in an internment camp, again, like the original. Um, so, another similarity there. They all wake up in their internment camp and there's just a voice speaking to them. And it tells them, you know, that it needs the information and this and that. So now they believe they've been a, taken over, or they have been taken over by the Ebonites. And they want information and then they start... Just like the original, yeah, one taking at a them time. one at a time off into an interrogation room and torturing them to get the information. I will say this, the disembodied alien voice that was coming over the intercom in this one during interrogations was really silly sounding because it had, it was basically that voice box, you know, or what do you, what do you call it, the voice modulator, modulator right. that, you know, got used really heavily in it's, the movie and, and there was like a doubling effect on it too. It's, yeah. I kept wanting one of them to be like, look, I want to comply with your demands, but I can't understand the damn thing you're saying. Right. <laughs> or it was, it was like, you know, when they protect the innocent, so they put you in a backlit shadow and point your voice off. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What? Well, and they so this this one this one at, um originally aired um August fourteenth, nineteen ninety eight, and so you know you're two years post Scream, and I feel like after that movie came out, more people were like, we should use the voice modulator and things. Like it kind of became <laughs> done to death for yeah. a while, and so it just sounded. It just sounded really unbelievably cheesy, and it was meant to be scary. I will say, just as a callback to that original episode when they had the alien, the the Ebonite speaking, it's very much um, like a Dalek. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's sure. like a ring modulated voice. So, fans of Doctor Who, it's it's kind of a fun little. It's fun hearing that voice. Sure. It's also much more legible than right. <laughs> yeah, you they can understand what it's saying. It's not a mumble, jarble. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so then they're being tortured mm-hmm. um, in the other room, and they're 
they're figuring out how to get out of the room. They kept pulling things out of the wall. I didn't quite understand. Yeah, they had they had little Star Trek little light circuits or whatever. They were yeah, pulling out of the wall. Yeah, they were going to somehow magically get out of this room. Yep. And they have things implanted in their hands, each of the prisoners. Right. When they woke up, each one of them had their, their little their gemstones. Force gemstone. Yeah. It looks very much like Logan's run, I, well, the stone yeah. that changes color as you age. I yeah. took him to be kind of like, especially when they're brought into the torture chamber and there's two kind of poles. Right. Maybe they're super magnets. Right. It's like they connected their their life force in through these two little spikes yeah. mm -hmm. that can be zapped to whatever they want to zap and them And you to. know, magnets how they work. How they work. It's a miracle. Miracle. Um, oh, miracles. <laughs> and if you don't get that reference, uh, go look up ICP yeah. miracles. Or don't. Or don't. Do it. I picture my mom now watching ICP. Yeah, you know what? You look at it and it explains yeah. a lot about the way the world is. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Did you ever like have, DNA? Have you ever have you ever read the interview where they oh, talk no. about the, the debate over what actually is a, a miracle? And they're like, "Was well, a giraffe a miracle?" I'm like, yeah, a giraffe is a miracle because it's like a horse with a really long neck. But <laughs> but is but is a, an elephant a miracle? Technically, an elephant is not a miracle. Try telling that to an elephant. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's only been around for a couple hundred years. It's the best <laughs> interview I've ever read. Wow. Oh, All right. Very things, special people. Things that are more disturbing than Outer Limits episodes. <laughs> yeah. So I also should mention, too, so this um, this uh, revival series also had somewhat um, of an involvement from Joseph Stefano, because he was still around mm. at the time and still working, and he, um, so he was sort of like an executive producer. He wasn't as deeply involved in mm. these, which I feel like is kind of telling, just because I think... He has a very um, more thoughtful, philosophical writing approach to mm. his sci-fi and horror. Yeah. And this just seemed like... there was. I really just felt like the acting and the way this was presented, and I think this is kind of common for this series and also a lot of 90s television in general, is just kind of a little over the top, a uh, little bit soap opera-like. Very. Yeah, yeah um, but I felt like... I felt like the episode is good, but probably only because the premise draws draws from something written. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I there was a, in terms of the camera technique, there was a, I think an over reliance in this episode on shot reverse shot when yeah. people were talking to each other. Yeah. There was a whole lot of shot Which reverse shot. Which is classic yeah. soap opera yeah. film style. Well, and also very nineties sci fi channel type. Yeah. Sure. But it, I, cheap television sci fi. Yeah. It, but it. People yelling at each other across the room. Mm -hmm. I, after after seeing the original and seeing it, you know, much more stage like, seeing everything mm -hmm. kind of presented in uh, and blocked in a very different way, and I think a more effective way, it really stood out to me. Uh, the nineties, sure. yeah, yeah, they weren't they weren't kind. It's the post MTV smash cut. You know? I'll, I'll put it yeah. this way, you know, we because I definitely want to revisit both versions of the series again later on. There are other episodes from this revival series that are, have better acting or at least more impactful and a little mm -hmm. bit more um, put together better. But there was just something about this era of television that 
people just got a little bit more, there's a little bit more hand-wringing and, oh my <laughs> God, and like just a little bit less, um, I, I don't know, I, I really... It's like unintentional camp. It's, it comes <laughs> off very campy, and I don't think they're trying, I mean, I, it, I think real genuine camp is often not that intentional anyway, mm. but it's just, right, yeah. it's just a little bit grating to watch now. As a teenager, it didn't bother me, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I was watch, watching Tales from the Crypt, and Tales from the Crypt sometimes was over the top, but it was based off of comic book stories, so it's very pulpy, and so I kind of think this probably, because it also drew a little bit from, um, uh, I was reading that there were some George uh, R. Martin stories mm -hmm. that were uh, adapted, a little bit of Stephen King, um, a little more Harlan Ellison, just kind of like who's who of, you know, writing in this genre of sci-fi and horror. But it's, there's just something, there's something about the way a lot of stuff was presented in this era that I just feel like doesn't age well. Whereas I feel like the classic sci-fi television, some people might find it really dry, but I find it very um, thoughtful and intelligent and classic. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just... Maybe well, it doesn't float everybody's boat because there's not as much to grab your attention, but I feel like there's more depth in the presentation of the story. Right out of the gate, in this version, you've got... Um, Budget, uh, budget Matt LeBlanc. Um, mm. The actor looks looks like Matt, Matt LeBlanc, and um, he, he's just always just so standoffish and confrontational and broy and obnoxious. And it's sort sure. of like I always <laughs> wonder, like, well, they got who was on the hiring committee for these missions that go off into space because right. you know someone's gonna be like, don't put that guy out there. Well, he's ever, an asshole. <laughs> Ever since Starship I think, yeah. ever since yeah. Alien came out, like mm -hmm. there's oh, that, yeah. like when you put people That's in space, exactly you gotta have like really character driven people. Yeah. You gotta have the really ballsy girl, and you gotta have the dude that's game over, man. You yeah. know, like yeah. they play yeah. off of that well, so it, it, often. That's my in problem. Sci-fi movies. That's my problem with modern sci-fi and like sci-fi action movies is the aliens effect that i right. mean i like that movie it's a good movie right. but that's what it, it's it's affected so much oh yeah it changed the world it changed every like like prometheus like, well, still has it and alien covenant still had it where it was like now we've got these marine type guys and right. they talk shit to each other and it's like <laughs> Well, they're all one-dimensional cannon all fodder, one but they're one, entertaining. Like, a lot yeah. of bravado, and it's like, how about you just have, like, a bunch of scientists that are really sure. smart and kind of bicker occasionally? Well, like, <laughs> Star Wars, to bring in that drink, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. they, like, kind of, heart, they brought in a new era where, mm. like, everything changed from there. Right. Like, well, it's, it's like, you have your you're, like, game changers. Like, you had, um, what's the one with the, the day the earth stood still. So oh, yeah, like, yeah. You start, like, kind of there. That's your, like, game changer. And then you get into, like, um, that kind of goes on for a while and you, it starts to get spoofed and camped into Ed Wood type stuff and, like, it just goes out of hand. Right. And then you get, like, the Barbarella, you know, game changer. And then everything's fantastic I think, and i that's 
sorry, I don't want to get into a debate about that. <laughs> right. I mean, I, 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 love, I love Barbarella. It's one of my very favorite movies. I don't necessarily... Well, no, but, like, not, I'm not saying Barbarella is the game changer, but, like, then you get into, like, the Barbarella type, the 70s and, and sci-fi where everything kind of, yeah, is, sure. like... Flash Gordon. Uh, you very retro-futurism. Right, and everything's very fantasiful, and you, like, have nebulas that are, like, swirling in circles and stuff. You don't have just stars in the background and a rocket with a jet out the back of it you know <laughs> and then you like you get into star wars and star wars brought in like these big industrialized ships and things and fleets and all of that mm -hmm. and that changed things and then but star wars was still you know you had these ranks and files and all these people working together that were like nameless just drones basically yeah. we have but, a we yeah. have a friend who writes military sci-fi we should see if we can get him as a guest sometimes so he could comment on things, yeah. things like this yeah um, and then you know once alien came along then you started getting the it's a ragtag group on this ship together yeah and they're like you know you've got the guy that's the uber military guy and you gotta have the one because one of the people on this episode the the revival series was like just a civilian that like she was the one that was Part of building the bomb. Oh and yeah, gonna, yeah. Like, drop yeah. off on this planet, and you know they have the captain that has he's seen some shit, but you know <laughs> like he's he's the good solid captain that maybe he made one mistake in his life. So real quick, I just liked your comment about budget. Matt LeBlanc. When you said <laughs> budget, Matt LeBlanc, the first thing that popped into my head was um, a moment on Parks and Recreation where Ron Swanson's talking about how at these meetings they cheap out on the snacks, and he's like, did you know there is an off-brand Hydrax? I did not. And I was just thinking, Matt, Matt, budget Matt LeBlanc would be the off-brand Hydrax kind of like, yeah. male actors. Because yeah. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc, I mean, I'm sorry, this is going to sound really mean, and I kind of have a little bit of a hate on for the show Friends, but, um... But that's not a, not a great actor. But I'm just saying, I'm saying if he were a cookie, he'd probably he'd be, be a Hydrax. And and so when you have the budget version of him, like, do, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that that sucks when you're on a TV show for that long. I mean, granted, you make money for the rest of your life based oh, on yeah. syndication rights, but how do you get work after it? But think, you know, if you want to keep work, if you mansion. want to keep working though, like then what do you do? Well, he <laughs> sorry, I meant to say Hydrox is the actual the the Oreo ripoff is is Hyd is Hydrox, and then Hydrax is the is the budget version of the Hydrox. Oh, see, I always know it as like like when they call it uh, like tuxedos. Oh yeah, oh, that's your mm -hmm. tuxedo cookies. Like, oh, you mean Oreos? Like, <laughs> so here here's what I want to know. Since we're doing cookie analogies, who is the Numino to Matt LeBlanc's Hydrox cookie? <laughs> uh, well, Numino would be the, the organic hippie organic in the version, version of, of the Oreo. What you really want and yeah. love. Yeah. Actually, they're super delicious. Yeah. Especially the mint ones. 
Uh, the, the version of Matt LeBlanc, like so, <laughs> it would it would be you know the indie film darling oh, version of Matt LeBlanc. LeBlanc. I don't I think, think such a thing exists. No, I bet you one does. But uh, we don't have time to figure it out no, tonight. No. I totally know what it is. I was just basically is. being facetious. So it would be the the Oreo version of him. Would that just be Keanu Reeves then, or <laughs> no? Who would be the mainstream? Like, well, it had to be somebody who plays. Similar types. Okay, we're getting way too. So, yeah, which is right. why I said we don't have time. But I, I was just being. I was just. It was my lame attempt at being funny. So, <laughs> sorry. We can delete this. No, I'm gonna be. Want. I'm gonna be up in. You were gonna talk about out. Star Wars for a half an hour, so I had right. to do something. <laughs> no, we're drink, gonna drink, drink, drink. We're gonna figure this out later. But don't really. Not on on this episode. Have some milk and cookies, kids. Right yeah. back to us. And tell us no. the whole trinity of the Matt LeBlanc. No. <laughs> Unless no, you, if you, if you can tell though. me to it's... the numino, to the numino of that of that male actor scenario is, I'd be into that. But otherwise, you know, don't worry about it. Um, just, just eat a cookie. So, anyways, they have. I don't know, like Paul Rudd. They, no. they no. have all these <laughs> these different people in there, and uh, we still need to get back to the actual plot line. Right. Uh, oh, which yeah. is well, that they've, they've all been tortured and everything, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're leading up, and they even do another throwback where um, one of the people, the doctor, this female doctor, her, like, heart explodes, you know, like, they rip her heart out, which, uh, oh, in the original, we never even mentioned that the guy's heart didn't really, they didn't rip it out. He had a heart attack, and they were trying to save him. Yeah, they were trying to use their advanced oh, science. Yes. Right. And, right. and the humans didn't understand what they were looking at, so they just right. interpreted it this as episode an uses attack. A, this episode uses a lot more of the like hallucinatory, like people from your past, right, kind yeah. of appearing before you, right. Like, so everybody, all their dark past was getting brought up. It made it a lot more um, right. Event Horizon. I have to wonder if, if this came out in '98. Then mm. Horizon came out in 97, and sure. I wonder if that was sort of a subtle... Hmm. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's it's highly without, possible. Without the 40,000 gallons of blood. Sure. And, oh, you know, I like Event Horizon. I do, too. I love, I love that movie. It's so good. It's a little, it's a, in space. It's a little, yeah, it is. It totally it's is. It's the only good... It's uh, the best Paul Hellraiser well, it's the only. It's the only good... Yeah. It's the only good Paul Thomas Anderson... Er, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul W.S. Anderson. It's well, the only good Paul W.S. Anderson movie. He's the guy that did all the uh, Resident Evil movies. Yeah. And Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Oof. No, I know. I looked him up one time and I thought, wait, how did we get this movie out of him then? <laughs> but, yeah, isn't there actually a Hellraiser movie that does take place in space? I think that's Hellraiser 4. I think eventually all horror franchises go to space. Uh, yeah, you know, Jason, Jason definitely goes to Leprechaun. space. And Leprechaun goes to space. <laughs> did Freddy ever go to space? I don't no. think so. I don't think so. Freddy did. No. Critters, but like, what if you're in cryosleep? No, yeah, they they space. did go that's back a, That's a million space. dollar idea right there. there Wait, what movie? <laughs> Freddy and Nightmare on Elm Street in space? Yeah, but cryosleep. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh! It's a good one. It's mm-hmm. like we finally do the mission to Mars, but we, you know, do cryo sleep yep. and all the way oh. to Mars. And somebody is... wakes up and they find everybody dead, but they aren't, they realize that they're still in the nightmare. Yeah. That's genius. Dream within a dream within it's a dream. It's its own oh, night. No. Yeah, it's Inception with, but, with but Freddy Krueger and your floating through space. Right. You can oh. send me a check at... I'm kidding. <laughs> I, w- I will point out, Rick and Morty did plumb that idea, Dream Inception with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> they did? They did. Okay. There, there's an episode so with never a scary, mind. But not scary in space. But not in space. It's true. It came scary terrorism. So anyways, they're still torturing people, and um, they show the exploded heart. Um, and then we finally build up to where they're all doubting each other and blaming each other and trying to kill each other and the civilian that built the bomb is the last one and like they tell her you know you have to do this or we're gonna do that and just give us the code for the bomb and so you see her putting in the code and they're like oh they finally did it they, they, they get this is the most ridiculous thing in this episode to me is that they actually let her have access to the the explosive device that she worked on right, right like yeah. this doomsday bomb and you're just gonna keep it right there yeah right. and so like then you cut to the scene back in the the camp little setting where they're all going mad and also the other one that like I, I couldn't figure out is like uh, multiple times, uh, the jacked up marine guy mm-hmm. like pulls knives on people, and yep. it's like, why did they let him keep a knife? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so then, like, he's all jacked up, and he's angry at this one guy, and he knows it's him, and so he goes and he stabs him, and that's when all the walls open up and in flood all the like army officials. Yeah, it's almost like and it's a television like, studio. Yeah, and know, it's, it's like Truman time. Show all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, totally. And it's so, like, like all these generals and stuff flood in, and they're like, get medics, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, it was all a test to see how you guys would react. So there actually are still in a war with the Ebonites or whatever. And then so as they're, like, trying to revive him and everything, they're bringing in the girl who worked on the bomb. The and then she looks around, she's like, "What? what's going on? And it's like, it's all, we're just on Earth. She's like, no, we can't be on Earth. Because, because <laughs> I told the bomb to second, blow up. Yeah. Uh, second twist, double twist, double twist. The double twist. Yeah. She set the bomb so that it would blow up the planet. So they were gonna be dead anyway. So she sacrificed them to save you know Earth by blowing up the threat. And they said, oh, you can't do that because we rigged it to not be able to explode. She says, no, I worked on it. She's like, I'm not good. (laughs) I know all the back doors. I made it blow up. And they're like, oh, we have to stop it. It's like, you can't. We've got 40 seconds (laughs) and we're all dead. Good job, government. (laughs) Also, okay, so I just want to point out a detail of that. The one doctor that they see as a body that she's dead they explain real quick, oh, they built a prosthetic of her. It was very difficult. So there's no aliens involved in this exercise. The aliens are off on their alien planet being an alien threat. We never really get to see them or know why there's a war. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to psychoanalyze and understand 
these soldiers to make them more prepared and more aware. Because I believe in the original episode they said, we want, we want to know what your limits are, but we also want you to understand what your limits are and what your triggers are. Basically right. to make them better soldiers, but also to know themselves so that they can be their best in whatever situation, which seems messed up, but also understandably somewhat honorable at the same time that you're like honing yourself like a, like a sword, you know? Right. And in this, they're like, well, we, we are at war now and we need to know what you can withstand and what you'll do, but we're going to drive you to the point of insanity with special effects and fake out props <laughs> while we're at war because they have time to do this drill which mm. one seems totally preposterous to me I've never been in the military but I'm pretty sure they don't waste their time that way <laughs> two like it just seems so much more of a shallow reason yeah because we're gonna figure out who the best soldiers are while we're fighting this unseen enemy it just and why did they give them live ammunition? Yeah, why did they give them an actual doomsday device? It just seems it seems like they took the original script and dumbed it down and tried to make it more actiony and suspenseful. And I have to say, I was less engaged watching this. Like I was a little oh, bit more bored because I just didn't feel like I could connect with any of the characters, whereas I felt like I was connecting with the characters in the first one. I actually cared about them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think what it was is because it was a remake of one of the original episodes, I feel like they handed the original episode to a room full of 1995, or 98 it came out. Yeah. 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 You know, late 90s, just coked up television writers yeah, and said, totally. here, punch this up and make it more uh, acceptable for modern audiences. And mm -hmm. like, alright, yeah, we gotta put a bomb in there, yeah, and we yeah. gotta put some uh, knife play in there, yeah. and, uh, and big lasers. Mil big military brass. Yeah, lasers. You gotta have military brass to the whole thing. So this is post-Starship Troopers, and I also believe post-Event Horizon, I think, yeah, those, those are both yeah. 97. Took so, so I think that, I think that they were drawing, you know, they were on a budget, it's a television show, and, and even though, you know, it was originally premiering on, like, a paid network, this is, this is before the era of writing, writer-centric, beautifully oh, yeah. thought-out, well-produced television on Showtime and HBO yeah. and Stars and this all these other channels. This is before that renaissance. Pre-Deadwood and Sopranos. Oh, and yeah. yeah, but yeah. not by Wait. much. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, not, not by much. And, and I'll tell you, like, like the quality of writing on things that came out I, just a few years later was so I think so for much a time, better. yeah, ready for TV was kind of a purgatory kind of thing. Right. You know, where it was like, well, I have to pay the bills. Right. I'm going to write another episode of Full House. Well, and it also <laughs> maybe seemed like some of the Family people matters. who were really great cost more, and that when they're trying to crank out product, they weren't really wanting to pay. I mean, I don't know. I I could be wrongfully slamming these guys, but this just seemed a lot more slapped together and sensationalized. And, and I think there are other episodes, like I said, of this of this revival series that are totally worth your time and, and really good, and, and we'll you know maybe cover some of those next time. But I thought... Since we were doing it, dipping our toe in the water, it would be fun to do a compare and contrast of one story yeah. with two different treatments. And I, I personally say, and watch that original one, and maybe watch, maybe watch the '90s version if you just want to see. But it's not if you're just looking for some outer limits episodes. I think you could skip this one. It's not <laughs> that good.
Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. I think I definitely enjoyed and was more engaged in the first one. Um, I didn't hate the second one. It was... No. It, it was hammier. It was, you know, was what it was, but... Uh, I like the twist. I mean, but but again, it's a twist that's kind of in the traditional series. Um, I kind of felt like the, the second twist the twist within a twist was yeah the a double little twist. was a little silly i think there's times where you can make that work and i just think that there wasn't enough um energy and time put into the writing of this to make that make that plausible and make right. that actually shocking instead of eye rolling which is what well, it induced in me i feel like it as the twist the writing for the twist was a little bit just camp and over the top but also a little bit of the acting of that twist when like if you know you just like doomed the entire world I don't think the response she gave was the response a person would actually react to that you know no because no. you literally just like did something that is blowing up a quarter of the earth, I believe, is or what they're saying. Like, yeah, a five-mile-wide yeah. hole. Like, in, like, it was, like, gonna wipe out, like, a whole, you know, hemisphere or something. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you wouldn't... You'd be reacting badly, but in a different way. You'd just be, like, shocked and stunned and on your knees and crying. Possibly you know? not able to tell anybody right. what was you about to You wouldn't be able happen. to explain it. Like, I would, if I was directing it, I would probably have just, like, incoherent babble on her knees crying until the very, very end, which is, but I set, you know, mm-hmm. but I set yeah. it to go. That's the other thing is I think that... And then cut to black. A lot of 90s TV likes to over-explain things and not trust the audience to pay attention and pick up details because you could have portrayed that as she's, like, tr- making all these attempts to get the system overrated to make it actually go through and then you see her be like haha I'm gonna get you guys or whatever I did it and then like the look of horror we're on earth and that's like really all you need to say you don't need the whole explanation we don't need our hands held so yeah even just you know swapping around the lines a little bit and getting the scene in in order properly would have made it much more impactful I wonder if that was a studio or like a studio note like, maybe it was written bleaker, and they are sort of like... I'm not sure if the show got a lot of studio notes and stuff. <laughs> I guess not. Well, and I guess if it's if it's showtime, then they're probably yeah, like... Yeah, I think they probably showtime. just threw it in the can well, and yeah. then got notes after it aired. I think, <laughs> I think in the 80s and 90s, and, you know, I'm someone who grew up watching Showtime and HBO occasionally when they do like their preview weekends we never really had it yeah we never really had a subscription so I can't say that this is always the case but I got the impression that um the money for those networks was spent on the rights to show the big name films right you weren't getting that on your regular expanded cable like you Mm -hmm. you know it was a big deal if certain blockbusters or like classic movies came out but usually HBO and Showtime and Cinemax Right. dominated that and then they had their softcore porn series yeah and they, they fought and then, over big names and everything else kind of was just filler mm-hmm. you know because like they had some really there were some made for tv movies over the years that aired on those networks that are kind of ridiculous and like i mean we're big fans of it but you know the worst witch from the 80s with tim curry and little <laughs> fruits well it's adorable mm-hmm. but it's so low budget it's 
there wasn't a lot of care put put into into that film. It was just slapped together, and they had Tim Curry come on set for fifteen minutes, and they did you know they did this stuff to just make their own content that they owned and could you know license out to other people if there was interest. But it was just basically fill the time between the big budget blockbuster movies right. that we put on our channel. Now, yeah, now HBO and Showtime can can anchor sure anchor themselves with quality original yeah series people are going to see because they want to see westworld and twin peaks and all these mm. other things that are showing up on these networks and, and probably at the time it wasn't yeah i mean i, I take it too seriously yeah we're, we're, no. we're living in the golden age of like streamed television series and mm. stuff there's a lot of really great long-form television out right now mm. and that just wasn't how things were made back then yeah. No, and I actually think if somebody took another stab at this show, which it sounds like is probably happening. Yeah, an unnamed source in Variety says that they, they may be working on a new Outer Limits. Well, if if um, if people continue to respond well to, you know, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone and find that to be high quality, mm -hmm. then and I think we will definitely be getting an Outer Limits oh, yeah, I mean, revival. History repeating. Yeah. We <laughs> won't be covering it because we cover things that are at least 20 years old. Right. But um, but hey, 20 years from now. Yeah, 2040. Better watch out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 2040 when podcasts are the way of the dodo. Oh. <laughs> no, they'll just possibly be some other format i don't i don't right. know it won't probably won't be called a podcast but there'll be something i mean there have been talk be, radio forever so be life cast we're gonna be living Your in heads will pop up in front of people we're gonna be living underground and beating sewer ass over the head to survive yeah hanging out with dennis leary what do you mean we're going to <laughs> andy said that was my friday night that's right <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the Jolly Hangout and right. Leary. We were chasing down a mouse down three nights ago. Uh, you see any cattle down here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of, what kind of meat is this? It's a rapper? This is pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> mm -hmm. I haven't seen that movie in so long, but I'm uh, sure, like... I reference that movie all the time. I, well, I'm sure, like, it holds yes. up... I'm sure it holds <laughs> up as not only just a stupid 90s movie, but also as kind of social commentary still. Oh, like, it... I've watched it recently, and it holds up for the fact that it's just as cheesy and campy and over-the-top as it was when it first came that's out. fantastic. And that's the reason it was amazing then, and it's still amazing because of that. <laughs> All right. Agreed. And on okay. that note, demolition. Well, <laughs> did anybody have any other final thoughts, impressions of Outer Limits or the Nightmare episodes in general um, that they wanted you to know, share? I never, I, I'd never seen the Outer Limits before this. I knew of it, you know, through cultural osmosis. I'm gonna call it. I yeah. Think, sort of filtered into my. You knew the intro. I knew the intro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out because it's, you know, it's good. Yeah, I recommend both series overall. So far, um, I'm really liking the original series, which I was less familiar with. I do have to say, when we watched the 90s version, that theme, that opening, is so, so 90s. Like, it just screams <laughs> 90s graphics. 
You can definitely tell there was an X-Files intro there's influence a, there. There's that, a little bit of screensavery, kind of like I expect flying toasters to kind of go by in the background. Oh, yeah. It also oh, kind of has a, a, new, a new age imagery yeah, vibe to wave. it. Yeah, like, You're yeah. that vaporwave crap oh, like, that you'd um, be like, oh, man. The lawnmower man. Yes. Yeah, very yeah. much yeah, so. Yeah, very yeah. much yeah. Oh. I really liked... Um, or the intro to every DVD, like, uh, self-help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah kind of, it kind of right made me think of X-Files intro meets pure mood. Yeah. You know, oh. you're going to hear some, some, uh, what was that band, Enigma, you know? Yeah. Like, it just seemed, that's what it seemed like to me. And But, I mean, it's still got the original, um, theme embedded in there, mm -hmm. you know, the do not adjust your, your right. television yeah. and stuff. But and it's just done in a cheesy 90s play where the original <laughs> was very 60s you know oh yeah very very stage play on tv um you know like slightly uh grounded in like the old way but then like throwing in like oh we have to make sure that all the cast is going to be multi-ethical or uh, ethnic Mm. like cast and mm -hmm. like because it's going to be the future and this is how it's going to be in the future but we're all gonna you know this and that there's uh two old episodes that i would recommend um in my watching of the of the, the original series that i would recommend i think one is called second chance and it is about a an amusement park sort of simulated get in the spaceship and we'll blast off to the moon and a real alien comes down and rewires this amusement park attraction to be a real spaceship so it actually oh, works nice. actually so blasts people, off to the moon yeah and so then it goes through space and i think it, it it causes the people on the ride to confront their past mistakes and that one's a fun one there's also one called um tourist attraction and it's with henry silva who you might know from the mst3k classic escape the bronx uh henry silva is like this character actor he's always playing like gangsters and mob bosses and, and a lot so, of 70s italian 70s italianes yeah. yeah he was like sicilian and puerto rico no no portuguese so he would play both so in this case sure. he's playing the general of a sort of Panamanian country. He plays the the um, eth the slightly ethnic. You don't know quite what guy that covers everything from uh, Italian to to Puerto Rican. Uh, right. To, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. You just need he did like, that a lot back in the you day. You need a heavy. You need a heavy who's like you know kind of like Ricardo Montalban as yeah. a little bit. Uh, but you can't afford Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> so he's like the general of this Panamanian country that's unnamed. And there's... They find this weird fish creature in the water. And so then he sort of wants... It. The one American guy wants to take it back to make his billions off it. And he wants to keep it in his country as a tourist attraction. That's another really fun one with a giant rubber monster costume. and Cool. If you like that kind of weird, cheesy stuff like that, that's also a, another really fun one to watch. Yeah. Yeah, we watched, um, what was the episode called? 
that we watched that was one of the very first first season the episodes. Very first one. I the radio one? Yeah, I think I don't necessarily know that they're presenting them in order oh. on um, Amazon Prime. Well, it's the first Prime. one that's on Amazon Prime. So I, I can't I can't say that for sure. I'm trying to remember. Oh, is that Borderland or? Um, I think it's called the Gal the Galaxy Being. So maybe that was mm. the pilot. The pilot. Oh, oh, so fun fact. Apparently, originally they wanted to call the show "Please Stand By," <laughs> but ABC wasn't into the into the title, so they. You know, changed <laughs> it to the Outer Limits. Switch the channel. <laughs> Those are Fritz of the ABC. Well, if you put that, that intro on and you just said, please stand by, some people might not understand that that's the title. And I think that's probably what the ABC executives thought. No, sure. no, you can't do that. People well, will get confused and they'll change the channel. We don't want especially that. Especially if you said, <laughs> uh, please stand by, and then, like, the TV started fritzing yeah. out. Yeah. And would be like, oh. Yeah, they're doing testing on this channel. Let's see what's on uh, CBS. Oh, yeah, please stand by. And then they're like, we control the vertical and the horizontal. They, people would think they're the like, communists ah, took over. I don't need to watch this yeah. testing stuff. But yeah. is it, it's like, um, is it the, um, in Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman Oh, Andy film, Kaufman where actually Andy did Kauf that. No, no, I'm just saying, but I never, oh, actually, yeah. I never actually saw the original the original thing when it right. aired or anything so but it's just it was that idea and it was the same conversation happened well you can't do that people start banging right. on their sets and he'd be like yeah it'll be hilarious <laughs> like no no we want him to watch don't change the channel you know and he I think actually that's... he got to do it though he actually did that mm -hmm. i saw that rebroadcast obviously i didn't see the original broadcast i wasn't alive but I saw it. Is that where he messed, he messed with the vertical hole? Yeah. yeah. So, right. But, like, yeah. he doesn't, like, do it as, like, a bit or something. He's just having, like, a conversation. Was and it all with of his sudden, Howdy Doody puppet or something? I don't remember exactly yeah. what the skit was, but they were just doing a skit mm -hmm. on TV, and then all of a sudden, like, the vertical just starts going just off. And so up. then people were trying, like, at home to adjust their vertical, but then, like, the vertical would really go way off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you could never catch up with it because there was no, you know, yeah. the screen was never still to begin with. So, yeah. And that's just hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, I feel like that exact scenario was what ABC was trying to avoid back in Probably, 63. Yeah. They're like, nope, no, no, you don't call it. Please stand by. <laughs> you know, one another <laughs> Please watch CBS instead. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Sometimes you think something's going to come across and be clear. And, you know, I have that every day. I think, oh, I'm explaining this well, or I wrote this, you know, and it's clear, and someone else looks at it from a different perspective, and the message doesn't get across. Yeah, <laughs> yep. But if, so, if you know Twilight Zone, and you like the really sci-fi episodes of Twilight Zone, then definitely Outer Limits is for you, especially the original. Um, if you like episodic stuff and, you know, a different story each time, you don't have to try and keep paying attention to an ongoing, never-ending story arc of two people in oh, love yeah. or something, yeah. then definitely it's a great show for you. Um, I think it's a great show for a lot of people. I think it's just a good show. Yeah. Even the remake... I mean, we didn't watch the grandest of the remake episodes, but there's a lot of great ones out there. You should give it a try. And it's on Amazon Prime for cheap. And 
I think we mentioned the Pluto channel before. Well, and, um, uh, we, we mentioned... Oh, Comet. We, we mentioned Comet, Comet, not Pluto. That's a different thing. Um, but, uh, as Chris said, you can also see some of these episodes of the original series on archive.org, which is also a great resource for all kinds of older television. And also, if you love radio mystery, there's a lot of that on there. Oh, so yeah. Check check out archive.org. And if you are already a well-versed Outer Limits fan, um, hopefully we, you know, didn't offend you for loving the show nope. and, and that we gave the show some justice. And if you have something you want to tell us or there's an episode you definitely recommend, um, drop us a line and let us know. Um, yeah, is there, I think, I think we're probably about ready to close up, but, um, you can check out our homepage at thehaunteddavenport.com. We'll have photos and show notes for this and all our other episodes and, uh, relevant links when we, uh, when we need them. I don't think there's any links for this episode, but you know, previous ones. Yeah. Um, also if you're new to the podcast and you're not already listening through Apple podcasts, we are now currently available as an option so if, if you prefer to listen through apple podcasts or itunes you can listen to us that way now yes we are the haunted davenport mm-hmm. the v is important there it is it is you want to put the, the the in there and then also if you are a social bird and you like to do a little bit of tweeting you can communicate with us through twitter yeah, I like what you did there that yeah was good. <laughs> social bird yeah at, at haunted davenport with one d um and then uh if you want to join us next month, we're going to be gathering around the campfire and talking about some Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, yeah. Is that finally happening? It That's is. finally that happening. That will be our, our July episode for sure. On the last episode while I was editing, I went through and like listened to a lot of stuff, just chunks out of old episodes, and we listened, was it? I think it might have been the very first episode we already mentioned doing a Are You Afraid of the Dark <laughs> We mentioned a lot, of, a lot of things we wanted to do. Right, but it, it's been mentioned a lot of times. So. Eerie Indiana has been mentioned a few it. times. Yep. Yeah, yeah that's that, that could be Indiana. a new drinking game where you take a shot whenever you mention something <laughs> mention that we're, that we're not going to get to for six months. Yeah. But we're actually, that's, that is next on the docket. So join us in July to to become a member of the Midnight Society in Davenport land. Yeah. We're going to have a good time. We're going to roast some marshmallows, listen to some crickets and the snapping crackle of the campfire, and we'll submit some stories for your approval. <laughs> All right. Good night, guys. Thanks, as good night, always. Thanks good night. Welcome to my nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Sweat and laugh and
you will.